Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to languages for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc. that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Dent, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again in another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I'm your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to our Masks of Nalothotep campaign with a very special episode. We are shining our spotlight for the entirety of our storyline and listeners to hear on one Miss Mavo Shea. Uh, and so we have a few introductions to do, but past that, we are going to get to the good stuff. So literally to my right. This is Tiffany and I play Maeve O'Shea and uh, things are going to get interesting. Indeed they are. And joining us for this special spotlight episode is... Allie and I play Alexandra Swift, who is going to be imparting some very interesting knowledge tonight. Fantastic. And so, Miss O'Shea, one of the nights that you're in Paris, you decided to go and go through a, a lesson with uh, Alexandra. And she'd asked you to return the following night as many times as, as you could while you were still in Paris to impart that knowledge. And the area of Paris that she is currently staying at is relatively close to the Arc de Triomphe, uh, which is, of course, this beautiful edifice in downtown Paris, uh, not too far from a lot of different uh, sightseeing locations. The apartment itself has a very wide uh, marble floor. Uh, and this time coming through uh, these stairways and the grand staircase that's here, walking up to her uh, apartment, you realize just how, how well put all of this is. Beautiful fineries. It's as if uh, a splash of the pre-revolutionary France was just sprinkled right here in this uh, courtyard. Beyond that, the gentlemen who wait outside her apartment, as you approach, let you in without a word. They almost seem to treat you as a, a respected guest. Um, they don't say anything to you. They simply open the wider double doors to the main entrance foyer of the apartment. Okay. Where beyond, your teacher awaits. So the foyer of the apartment here has a couple of different things in it, right? So we have stairs on either side, left and right as you walk in, that arch their way up the side to the second level of the apartment. In the center, there's a small but significant fountain that has a little bit of bubbling water in it at this point. Uh, and you also get a beautiful sculpture. There's a wide palm at the top where the jets of water seem to splash down off of. And it gives a very peaceful feeling. There's a serenity that comes over you when you walk in here. There's also almost a feeling in your bones that this place has 
something more yet to reveal, as if, as if there's a series of secrets here available to you. And I would ask you, Alexander, how do you think you would be dressed for tonight's uh, educational uh, advancements? Very differently than uh, the previous few nights. I'm going to be wearing, it's almost like a tank top, but it, it cuts very close right underneath the breast, but it's still modest enough that it doesn't show all of the chest, obviously, but it allows for all of the scales that are running down my ribs around the core to be visible. And it is cream-colored, and I'm wearing just a longer flowing skirt that allows my legs to be seen, where definitely on, like, the inside of my thighs has some more of this scale that you can see if it rides up far enough, which it does from time to time as I'm walking, and it's that same cream color, and I'm adorned with some lovely gold jewelry pieces of, you know, depicting snakes in various coils and... I will be uh, just standing comfortably, waiting for Miss O'Shea to arrive. And you see her walk through? I'll just uh, wait in the foyer for her. I will signal to my guards to go prepare something in another room as I come forward. Okay. Yeah, there, there are two men here, men you saw on the train. And when she steps into the room, she just gives them a brief mention, and then they depart the room, leaving the two of you here. It's a little warmer in here than normal also. Yeah, the, the, the warm temperature and the fountain probably almost give a, um, a humidity to this room that you're not, you're not familiar with outside of, as far as the current temperature in Paris goes. It's almost like a warm blanket that covers you when you walk in. Well, that's always nice. Good evening, Miss O'Shea. Good evening. So we have been expanding your knowledge as fast as possible for your favoritism of Yig. Mm -hmm. But what we haven't done yet is had you make direct contact with him so that we can keep you in his favor. Yeah, I have not contacted him or been in contact since Chicago, which has been a while now. Yes, and while you're in his favor and he is ever patient, because of the interest in you, we definitely need to have you make direct contact with him in order to allow for you to reach the depths of your potential. Okay. What we will be doing this evening is making sure that your grasp on the delicate nature of the language and song that we use to praise him is more than adequate so that he may hear you clearly. Okay. So, you know 
Alexander, that there's a, a ritual space beyond the foyer that you'll you'll want to move to for instruction. It's actually the same place that you were before mm-hmm. last, here last night. But much like last night, too, there was a little... There seems to be almost a formality to what she does here. There's almost like a, a ground set of ground rules is set in this room about what's going to happen, which is a little bit more ordered than you were expecting. But it's not a bad thing. No. I mean, you can't just do things willy-nilly. That is very true. So the two of you move deeper into the apartment into the ritual space. So this room that she has set aside for it has, uh, it's a long room. It's probably 17 by 20 or so. Uh, It's got a bit of width to it. There's a lot of ritual items in here. You see a lot of, for lack of a better term, gear. Um, So there's um, several braziers, small and large. There is a a fireplace at one end, uh, which has just this roaring fire going into it. Uh, The temperature here is a little warmer. Uh, You'd probably say maybe five to eight degrees warmer than the, the previous room. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is this is definitely a place where you wouldn't wear a coat <laughs> you wouldn't need to beyond that there are all around there are statuaries of snakes there are also statuaries of hybrid beings so you see an evolutionary chain almost of snake to walking snake to hunched snake creature to hybrid form where uh, it is nearly the size of a man but wider mm-hmm. scaled has a long tail uh, and then the final piece of it is there's this probably 12 foot or so sculpture that's been done into one corner that is a master's work chisel of a coiled serpent and it's very impressive. Looks out over the room with its jaws wide. Shows you its very, very tipped tongue and fangs. And then there's a wood table just uh, down the way from the fireplace there on the right. And there seems to be a few books and maybe some componentry there. Okay. And inside the ritual space, there's also going to be a couple of smaller chests that are waiting to be opened I go and stand behind them and pull them open this will be your ritual gear for this evening okay I will uh, walk over to the chests and see what's in it in the smaller chest there is a set of jewelry much like what I'm wearing um It gives you a number of pieces that you can choose. There's half a dozen rings, a few bracelets, a couple of anklets. And if you lift that panel up, there's also some earrings and a sizable collection of necklaces. All of the complete snake faces that have open mouths and things of that nature also have precious stones encrusted for where their eyes are and that's something that you notice as you approach 
and look inside. And then in the other chest are two sets of clothing. There's one that is black with some gold threading, and the other is a similar cream color to what I'm wearing. So, Miss O'Shea, you will adorn yourself appropriately, and you have some options. Once you are dressed, we will do some review just to make sure that we're on the same page. Then we can proceed with more details of the ritual, and then I'll have an important question to ask you after that. Okay. I will choose some pieces of jewelry, probably a necklace and some bracelets, and then the black with gold threading clothing she'll change into. It'll be easy enough to change into. The cut is very similar to what I'm wearing, so it'll be showing your midriff. The skirt is longer, but it has a large cut. Once you return, I will be speaking in exclusively Aklo from that point moving forward for the review. Okay. So, I guess putting on the ritual garments that Alexandra has laid out for you, or allowed you to pick from, I should say, allowed you to pick from, there is a sense that something about this almost reminds you of being on stage. You kind of connect with the material as if you're putting on a dress to go to the next jazz club or a private event that you've been called out for. Because theatrically speaking, yes, you've been a singer, but you've done a lot of different arts Mm -hmm. in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so I think mentally you might just begin to kind of appropriate this as you're putting on a costume of sorts. Right. Although I'm sure that you feel that this is not another play. Right. This is very serious work. And so as you fit the bracelets or the rings, uh, the associated jewelry back on and turn around, you feel something fall away from you. And it's the realization that the scales on your back that are present are now open to the air. And you can feel the temperature in the room warm the scales and it almost feels like a fresh surge of energy comes from the portion on your lower back where they fit all the way up over your shoulders Um, and it's intense It's it's a pleasant energy but it's very intense because you aren't used to having (laughs) you aren't used to having them react that way yeah I've been hiding them from the doctor so Mm mm-hmm you feel like it might be hard to hide them after this. Maybe. And you turn back towards the ritual space. Yeah. So would you care, Alexander, to give us a an idea of how you'll be teaching her Aklo tonight? Well, tonight I will be definitely pushing the limits on her voice, given that Aklo is a combination of a language that sounds unlike anything that a traditional human would ever hear. It also has a delicacy in the 
tonal quality that is used, which is very much like singing, which requires a lot of intense breath control. It requires being able to know the basics of pitch and having having a strong, vibrant voice. Yig responds to a certain kind of call, and there needs to be a certain even just volume of confidence. So your vocal cords need to be strong and your diaphragm needs to be well-trained. And those are the, the, some of the core tenets of singing is being able to project where necessary, keeping your voice quiet, but with intent where necessary. And a strong diaphragm and having strong breath control are key to that in order to maintain a sound without hesitation. And that's very important for the way that Oclo is performed, because in some ways it is a performance as well, with the singing nature of the language. The speed at which I've been teaching it to Maeve, she hasn't had a lot of opportunity to essentially practice what would be scales in um, <laughs> in normal music um, and that's kind of what this review is is to see if she's ready farewell so you're gonna go through the scales first yes so fundamentally speaking I have two questions one given what miss O'Shea knows of the language at this point which is even under her supreme learning ability for languages is she prepared to follow the instructions. Yeah. Okay. Well, she's probably paying particular attention in case she ever wants to contact him again. <laughs> of course. So if that's the case, then what I would like is an intelligence role from you, Miss O'Shea. It's hard difficulty. No, it's a 94 out of 90. Okay, so you have two options. Uh-huh. That is... Well, really three technically accept the failure uh-huh. push the roll or spend the luck what's your int 90 okay so you need a 45 yeah I know I have it down and remember failed push rolls are bad I know yeah those are real bad those will get you eaten mm-hmm. yeah I'll just accept the failure and we'll go over everything again so you get through about half of the first aqua scale when you begin to form these words in your mouth. And Alexander, you can tell that she starts off a little too fast. There's too much eagerness in her voice. She's pushing out too much air at first. And you realize before she even gets there that she won't make it through the whole scale because she's used up too much of her air at the beginning. And soon enough, about six steps in, she she falters because she just doesn't have the breath. Miss O'Shea, I understand that you are an eager student. You have proven as much the last few nights as you've been here with me to learn as much as I can possibly teach you. But what will be happening later tonight, if we can show Yig that you're ready, is going to be a test of endurance. Slow down. Close your eyes and take three deep breaths for me before you try again. I'll buckle down and 
Try again. This isn't unlike some of your early singing teachers, mm-hmm. right? There is a sharpness that a sharpness, but an understanding that comes to her voice um, that that reveals that she's obviously been an instructor before in some regard, mm-hmm. and that she likely knows exactly what she wants out of you. Mm-hmm. Feel free. Don't screw me, dice. Uh, that's a sixty-one out of ninety. Okay, so. 61 puts you way closer to 45. Yes. So you can either spend the luck to get the hard success, or you can push the roll. I'll spend the luck, I guess. Indeed. So you begin again with a full readiness after this series of exhales that she puts you through. And you begin this scale at first, and it it starts low, and it rises and rises and rises. And... Alexander, you see her get to that fifth or sixth one and you begin to grow concern that she's going to falter again. And after just a hair's breadth of waver, she continues on seven, eight. Uh, And when it comes out, when the last note leaves your mouth, the room vibrates. There's this harmonic noise that shifts through the stone here. And... At the far end of the room near the fireplace, you see something poke its head up through the wicker basket, just slightly, and then it tucks back in. And if you didn't know better, it was a snake. Oh, it gets me one of them. (laughs) So, you've passed this portion of it. The energy causes just the smallest of smiles to tilt up the corner of my mouth. Miss O'Shea, you are a wonder. Uh, thank you. So let's continue. We have the normal prayer that we covered in the second night. Mm -hmm. I want you to finish that in three breaths instead of five. Okay. So fundamentally, this is how it's going to work for you. Because you know how to go through the scales now, you'll be allowed to use your art skill, your singing, instead of your intelligence. Because now you know how it works. Okay. So it'll be a skill roll, and instead of a hard difficulty, it's a standard difficulty. Oh, okay. It's a 52 out of 68. Okay. Yeah, she passes your test. It does take her a little work to get through some of the more extended syllables and uh, incantations, but the room, again, takes that same vibration. Uh, And this time, the fireplace pops when she finishes. And my smile is bigger, and there is a almost excitement starting to appear on my face. You can feel it now. You can feel it in your bones now. There's something happening. It's significant. It feels like it feels like the feeling below the meatpacking plant. It feels like the cave in England. There's something c- coming. There's something here waiting somewhere. Whether it's in the ether, whether it's beyond the veil that you cannot see, there is a presence nearly here. And it's not malevolent. It's not... I shouldn't say it's not dangerous. It's not in opposition. It's powerful. 
it's dominant, but it is not seeking to do you direct harm. Right. At least at this point. From your perspective, Alexandra, the time has come. The real ritual begins. I step forward and staring directly into your eyes, Miss O'Shea, you see that mine are vibrant. I hold out a hand to guide you deeper into this ritual space. I'll follow. So the ritual space that she draws you into is near this... It's a near-perfect circle that sits near uh, the center of the room. And in the center of the room, there is that largest of braziers. And there's this interwoven series of snakes uh, that make up the stem of this six-foot brazier. On the top of it, there's a wide brass dish. And there are what look like at least from the angle you have, it looks like there might be um, some type of herbs or something up there. It's a dried herbs or twigs, or you're not really sure. There's something on the top of it. It's not smoldering just yet. Oh, one last thing. When she looked you in the eye, you see that she has parietal eyes. I guess that shouldn't be surprising, considering I've had more than one person say something is going on with my eyes. And in ritual space, Alexandra is just just entering the space with her is uh, almost in- intoxicating because she seems to just have this anima around her. Mm-hmm. She seems to get more visibly powerful when she's in this circle. Makes sense. So in the ritual space, there's also a small table with a cup and some various components for what you can only assume is going to be whatever ritual we're performing. I'll walk over and put a couple of things together and while I'm doing that I'm going to explain that this is a arduous process. Miss O'Shea, you will be performing for the next six hours. Okay. And your voice is going to tire faster than you ever imagined. And this is a ritual that you do not want to start and stop in the middle of because you are unable to continue. This is how you prove your devotion to Yig and stay in his favor. And as such, there is a mixture that I am composing for you now that you will need to drink before we begin. Okay. And I will walk over with the small cup that you would see normally traditionally for something like uh, a green tea ritual in Japan. And it's definitely a liquid, but it's thicker than what you're used to. And it's dark and I hand it to you. I will take it. And uh, considering some of the other things I've already done, um, this probably won't be so bad. <laughs> Would you like to list them for us all? or No, it's, it's, okay. it's good. I mean, we just made that horrible... Well, Simone made that horrible concoction. He did. 
This does not smell like that at all. This smells earthy. Probably a lot better than that does. Oh, yeah. The, his concoction smelled awful. <laughs> but make no mistake, it will be sharp. It's it's not a gentle flavor. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll drink it. Okay. You lift this cup to your lips, and as the solution passes over them and onto your tongue, you get an immediate, again, earthy texture flows down into your throat. There is a fair amount of flavor, I guess is the best way to put it. First, it feels like beef broth, just a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then there are these notes of hard earth salts and uh, the way it finishes is like something almost coppery okay and it's definitely more than a mouthful that you have to take the cup is is fairly full mm -hmm. and once you finish you make me a constitution roll and the hand of fate is going to give you advantage oh sweet I got an 11 no, so you do not need it. No. So an 11 in your constitution is? Uh, 50. Oh. Would you care to spend a point of luck? To make it an extreme? Yes. I mean, it's there for you. Yeah, I'll do it. Why not? I'll just burn all the luck. That's kind of the idea. You take the solution in, and you can feel it run down your chest. It almost feels like, being, uh, as far as temperature sensations, a warm glass of tea all at once. Like when you're not feeling well and you drink tea with honey to kind of soothe yourself. it feel You feel it push out over your chest and then down into your gut. Um, but the other places that you feel it are completely strange to you. You can feel it in your back. Like your, the scales in your back warm back up. Mm -hmm. um, as if someone gave them a, a, a fresh bath in, in hot water. Uh, it's an exhilarating feeling until... It isn't. And that's when you feel your abdomen and your lower abdomen clench very hard. Almost as if a big clamp got put around your midsection. And there is pain. Probably a four on a scale of ten. Mm -hmm. uh, you manage to stay on your feet the entire time. It's a racking pain. It goes on for a minute or two. And the entire time, your eyes are fixed uh, outside ritual space on the eyes that are staring at you from the basket. And you lock that into your sight and that background of fireplace flames until the pain subsides. And now, Alexander, you're prepared to start the ritual. So the first thing that we need to do, Miss O'Shea with you being prepared is offer ourselves as a type of sacrifice. Not literally, as I'm still here. And I shed my clothing and leave them outside the circle of the ritual space. If uh, that's what we're doing, then that's what we're doing. <laughs> I will do the same. It's just the two of you here. I figured. Well, that and whatever's in the basket. It feels even better. You feel like you can be seen as you're supposed to be. 
in this space. You're happy to hide, you're happy to obscure yourself in many other ways, but in here there is a freedom that you're not familiar with. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a rush of joy to be in this space like this. You're, in this moment, happier than you've been in months. That's not very hard, but it's good. <laughs> so, uh, Alexandra, how will you begin the chant? We begin the chant by the basic prayer for Yig that I had Maeve do as her second test because it's the most direct way to sing, literally sing praises without asking for too much in return. Sure. And as the ritual goes on, I will be guiding Maeve through all of the intricacies of how we serve Yig and the things that are expected of us and the things that we can do for him, implore him to listen to us, ask for the grace of his presence, and we ask to be of the chosen. We ask to be a way for him to channel his power. The ritual is arduous. The longer that we are standing, the harder it is to stand, and the heat in the room will naturally grow the longer the ritual goes on. And we will be sweating and struggling not to pant and potentially struggling not to faint because of the intensity of the magic and energy in this room that's happening right now. See, that's fairly succinct. The ritual begins, and you learn many secrets. You learn what Yig wants of you in this moment, and that is to continue his work on Earth. You hear his voice for but a fleeting moment in your ear, and this is unlike anything you heard when you spoke with the servitor. This voice is raw power. And when it it speaks to you, he says the only thing you could imagine he would say to you. And he says your first name. You hear him speak your name. And it is terrifying and wonderful in a beautiful concoction. Hours pass. Your voice grows raw. You continue. The two of you moving back and forth around the brazier. It's herbs now lit and filling the room with a smoke. And then just as you are nearly prepared to fall to your knees physically, you and your teacher come to the an ultimate climax of this ritual. And you can feel something inside of you press its way out onto the edges of your skin. You feel it in your midsection, down beneath your breasts, back towards your sides. You feel every single pinprick of your skin change in that area. There is a rush inside your body you are not prepared to hold on to. And you almost laugh with an uncontrollable zeal. 
And now, how many magic points do you have? 14. I'm going to take 15 of them. Okay. Which means you are going to burn one hit point. Okay. You actually take a hit point worth of damage. I'm going to ask you to roll sanity. Fun. And then, for the for the, before you do that, mm-hmm. what is your Cthulhu Mythos score? It is thirty-one. What is your current sanity? It is fifty-nine. Very good. Roll twenty-seven. Very good. Uh, so you lose zero points of sanity Woo-hoo. for casting this spell, and now I'm going to give you something. That's that. That's good. She, she can see the ominous look in my face. <laughs> I am going to increase your pow by eighteen. Holy cow! Okay, so that's eighty-three. So, Alexandra, at the end of the spell, you come to a very important realization: your petitioner is favorable, and she has been blessed and is now a fang of Yig. Wonderful. I am going to laugh. (laughs) Congratulations, Miss O'Shea. Thank you. You are now my sister. It's good to find others. And how do you feel? Actually, pretty wonderful. I will guide you over to a small table outside the ritual space and have you sit on the floor and I go and pick up the wicker basket that is next to the fireplace and bring it over and set it down between us. I will open the lid and set my hand on the side and you'll hear a low short rumble of aqua from deep in my chest and an S comes sliding slowly out to curl up my arm like an armband it currently has its hood down as it is unthreatened and it's very dark. The scales are glossy and almost black and you can tell that it is completely at ease in my presence. So, dear sister, do you know what the asp symbolizes in ancient times? No, but I'm I'm sure you'll tell me. I will. They symbolize royalty. It's why the Egyptians used them as a symbol on the armbands. Supposedly, they were the fiery eye of Ra. And given that they are royalty, that is a very prestigious lineage. And they're everywhere in Egypt for the most part. They're pretty docile as far as uh, a lot of snakes go, but they are in the desert dry environments and they use 
abandoned animal burrows and rock outcroppings for homes and they they like it that way where it's a little more easy to hide but also easy access to food and the sunlight as they will often bask in the in the morning to sun themselves like we do with fires they live a long time. Even even in the wild, they can stay alive for a couple of decades. They are very formidable for a lot of different reasons, but their venom is potent. It has the ability to end life swiftly, but more gently than a lot of other poisonous reptiles. So... I would greatly recommend that you find one for yourself. They are a perfect example of where our rank is in our servitude of Yig. We are among royalty. Well, I'll be headed to Egypt soon, so I'm sure I won't have any problems. So I'm going to hold my hand out to my new sister and repeat the phrase in Aklo that I said before and prompt you to do the same. Okay. Yeah, it shouldn't be a problem. And as you finish that, the asp that had curled up my arm like an armband slides over your skin. And even though this particular asp has formed its connection to me, you can feel its energy. You instinctually know that obtaining an asp of your own is probably the best thing that you can do. It'll be a better channel than any other serpent as far as feeling the most connection to Yig. It also shows that you would be part of the brood that the Swift family is. You are amongst royalty, little sister. You need a royal symbol. I agree. A thought comes to your head instantly. And that is, in the box there, with the clothes you wore before, you have an item. It's normally strapped to your thigh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll go get it. You stand up, you go over, and you reach into the box that has your clothes that you wore here. Uh, When you reach down in and pull out the dagger, you see it's fully formed. There are no pits or missing portions. So for Alexandra, when you see her pull this blade out, you see what is essentially a serpent warrior's blade. You have no idea how she's come across it or what she's doing with it, but it is only fitting that she would have something like this. You can even read from here as she turns. You can see that there are bits of written Aklo dedicating the knife to the father of all serpents. It is also likely poisonous to anyone who is not favored by Yig. Yeah, I'll uh, walk up and... uh... Hand Alexandra the knife. This was an item that I uh, came across 
that I thought should be mine. You were not incorrect. It belongs to you in all senses of the word. Anyone who tries to take it from you will be... Well, let's just say that it's potentially more hazardous than they will care to find out. It is tied to you. Well, it looks better than a hat. It is now drawn into the early morning hours of the next day. You are wide awake. There is not a drink or a a concoction the doctor could make which would put you to sleep. At least you don't think. Mm -hmm. You know at some point your traveling companions will ask questions about where you were. But in your heart, you're not sure it matters anymore. You have a higher purpose. You have a higher calling now. Things have changed irrevocably. And from where you're sitting, the forces that you're going against were concerned about your raw power before. They are likely going to be unprepared for the sharpened form you have now. And that is where I'm going to call this spotlight to a close. So thank you so much for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed this deeper look into Maeve O'Shea. And I'd like to thank Ali, one of our illuminated backers, for playing the role of Alexandra. I thought you did a fantastic job. Thank you. And we'll catch you next week. <laughs>